This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to the Mom and Mind podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. I'm really excited to bring you this episode today, not only because it is my 300th episode, which I can't even believe, but also it's about ADHD and the perinatal period. But more than that, and you'll hear, is ADHD is not something I really learned about in grad school or afterwards. And so it's I know a little bit about it, but really trying to understand what ADHD is and how it impacts the perinatal period has been something on my mind for a while. And so I've invited on Jacqueline Cohen to talk to us about it. She is a licensed professional counselor and ADHD certified clinical specialist provider, certified clinical hypnotherapist, coach, consultant, writer, and speaker. She's been in private practice for over 15 years, specializing in perinatal mental health and adult ADHD. Her practice, Therapy Mama, is in Marriott, Georgia. She's also licensed in Colorado and Florida. She experienced postpartum depression and anxiety after the birth of her son in 2001. And then 10 years later, she herself was diagnosed with ADHD during the process of her son's diagnosis of ADHD. And on her journey of discovering how her brain works, she knew that her experience with postpartum depression and anxiety was largely a result of living with undiagnosed ADHD. And this experience has been the force behind her helping people with ADHD or undiagnosed ADHD navigate new parenthood. In our episode today, we look at what ADHD is and what it looks like and what it can look like in the perinatal period. And you'll hear, I have lots of questions and I'm excited to bring you this information today. And it's also opened up a door for me and that I would like to explore this more on the podcast and also truth be told um, for myself as well. It's been a question of, is this a thing? Do I have ADHD? Is it because I've had so many concussions? I have no idea. But in any case, some of the things that she describes today are things that are absolutely things that I deal with and impact my day-to-day life. These are things you just would not know unless you knew what to look for. And so I'm hopeful that this episode 
brings you information as well and shed some light on what you might be going through as a person or even as a provider, what we can be looking out for so that we can help our clients even more. So let's meet Jacqueline. Welcome Jacqueline. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This topic, I know a lot of people are going to be interested in ADHD has become more well-known and so interested to hear from you, your perspective on what you are seeing, you know, in terms of what people are experiencing and how this diagnosis is coming to be more known. But I know you have a bit of your own journey. So if you'd like to start there and kind of let us know a little bit about how you got interested in the intersection of perinatal mental health and ADHD. Yeah, so I am a survivor of postpartum depression and anxiety with the birth of my son, who was my first child. And when he was in third grade, he went through the process of getting diagnosed with ADHD. And through his process, you know, kind of answering the parent questionnaires and all of that, you know, I'm kind of like, hmm, kind of resonates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so then I went to see a psychiatrist and, you know, was diagnosed as well. And the more I started sort of understanding what that looked like for me, the more I started realizing that the main reason why I experienced postpartum depression and anxiety is because I was living with undiagnosed ADHD. Yeah, I'm super interested in that because I imagine what you're going to tell us is that a lot of people are, or at least a good number of people are probably. (laughs) That's um, really interesting. What was it like for you to realize or, or understand how you were being impacted? Because I may need to, I don't know if I need to describe ADHD first, where I can just throw this in. Maybe I'll just throw this in. So with people with ADHD, we have an interest-based nervous system because we don't get as much dopamine and norepinephrine mm. as a neurotypical. And a neurotypical is someone who does not have ADHD or on the spectrum. Or, I mean, when we say neurodiversity, it's not just ADHD. So neurodiverse, neurotypical is, for this talk, we'll just say mm. someone who does not have ADHD. Okay, got it. Um, So we get less dopamine and norepinephrine than a neurotypical. And because of that, things that require no thought are harder to do. And being bored is absolutely intolerable. And, you know, if we're bored all the time, that definitely can cause depression. And being a new mother and being a stay-at-home mother is incredibly boring. The day-to-day, like, feels like it has no meaning and that has a big impact on someone with ADHD more than it does a neurotypical. Also, I mean, that's how people with ADHD can become depressed. If they're constantly doing things, either hitting their deficits, and I'll get into what that means, and doing things that they're not interested in in the moment, that doesn't engage their brain, that doesn't, you know, provide stimulation, then it kind of feels like this existential crisis. Like, Mm. It's really what my purpose is. Is this really what my life is supposed to look like? Because that feels like miserable. Right. So interesting. Yeah. There's like, there's so much in there. I mean, you're like just thinking postpartum, let's say everything is different. If it, like if it's your first, yeah. every everything is different. And then at the same time, everything is monotonous. Yes. And transitions also are incredibly difficult for people with ADHD. Yes, big transitions and becoming, you know, a new mother is a huge transition, but also like transition from like one task to the next and being pulled 
from one task. Like if you're trying to do one and you're being pulled in another, which we are as new mothers, constant mm-hmm. pull, constant pull. It's incredibly frustrating because the thing about it, it's like if we're in involved in a task that maybe we want to be involved in, or maybe we don't, but we're trying to get it done mm-hmm. and that's painful enough. Mm-hmm. When we're pulled away, getting back to it is almost impossible. So Oof. emotion dysregulation is also a symptom of ADHD, even though that's not in the DSM. Okay. I, I, my mind has a million questions, but maybe we can start all of my questions with like, what is ADHD? For somebody who's listening who has no idea what ADHD is, what are some of the symptoms? Yeah. What might they notice? So ADHD is a neurobiological condition. When we think about children, you know, when they're, it's, you know, more neurodevelopmental and it mainly has to do with executive functioning. So, and our executive function, like we need that. That's how we navigate every aspect of our day from Mm -hmm. activating to doing something like being ready to do it, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to focusing on something and maintaining focusing on something. Even once we've lost interest, it's effort. So maintaining effort, even when you've lost interest. Emotion, memory, working memory has to do, you know, a lot of times people with ADHD are working memory doesn't work so great. Can you say a little bit more about what working memory is? So it's like remembering appointments, remembering conversations, remembering, you know, you've got a project due, like remembering that. No, I have a question about like, would that apply to like, let's say, you have a list of things that you know how to do or that you know you need to do. Let's say you wrote a list or something, but if it's not in front of you and you go off and do something else, you forget what's on the list kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm. Many times it's out of sight of mind. And that depends. It's not everything. I mean, mm-hmm. if it's something that you really are interested in doing, you really want to do, you probably won't forget that. Right, right. And it depends on how much is on that list. Sure. <laughs> but, but people right. with ADHD, when they're making lists, they'll they'll make a list bigger than any human being can get done in one day. <laughs> think they can get it done in this one day. This is starting to hit way close. Or failure. <laughs> this is starting to hit close to home. Okay. So, right. Okay. But so, it, uh, I working uh, memory. Working uh, memory. And then it's uh-huh. also like action. So, it's like... M- monitoring your actions and behavior. And that can be kind of like where impulsivity can come in. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But it also, it's like, it's organization, time management, planning and prioritizing, you know, all of those things. So it really is like, and so many times people with ADHD will have, when I said, like when I said deficits before, mm-hmm. like a lot of times people will think of, oh, someone who's disorganized, mm-hmm. they must have ADHD because that's more of a well-known symptom. And I mean, disorganized to kind of like, you know, that can look like clutter everywhere, messes everywhere, all that kind of stuff. Because their brain like just doesn't know where to start, doesn't know how to, you know, organize things in sections or sequence things, things like that. But also too, and this is where anxiety from ADHD comes in, Mm. is that someone with ADHD, their brain notices everything going on around them and doesn't filter out what's not important. So it's Mm -hmm. telling them everything is of equal importance and urgency. It's shut down. And so that's like where we get overwhelmed really, really quickly. And so, you know, a lot of people in like the, you know, perinatal mental health world will be like, new moms are overwhelmed. Like seeing everything has to be done right now or in that feeling. Right. It has to be done right now all the time. 
Wow. I wonder how hard it would be to, in that period of time when there's so much change and so much happening, it's on one hand, it, I am, am imagining it would be hard to differentiate between what's what, like what's kind of like the quote unquote, like normal chaos. <laughs> and then what is the, if ADHD is on board, what's the contributor and gosh, it could be hard to know. It could be hard to know, you know, that depends on, you know, as a clinician who has ADHD and I'm 12 in 12 years into my journey of understanding how my brain works. I can spot it from a mile away. I mean, in, in other people? Yes. Oh, got it. It doesn't got it. mean that I'm correct 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. Maybe about 85% of the time. <laughs> and some people more obvious than others. I mean, just like depression and anxiety, you know, during pregnancy and after childbirth, there is a spectrum, like a continuum mm-hmm. of mild to severe. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with ADHD. People's symptoms can be mild to severe. Sure. And they look, every person looks different than the other. So you can have two people who are diagnosed with an attentive type, but they're going to look completely different from one another. And so, uh-huh. but if someone's been diagnosed or which, you know, which means they don't know what's happening. And so they're clearly un- unable to manage their ADHD because they right. haven't and they don't know what that means. Right. They just know that they're struggling and they feel different from everyone else. Mm-hmm. Is that a they're, common feeling to yes, feel different uh, than everyone else? Yes, because it is, you know, except for external hyperactivity and impulsivity, it's an invisible condition. Hmm. You've mentioned a couple of different um, like kind of presentations or types. Can you walk through what a couple of those are? So according to the DSM, you have an attentive type. And so that is more of, I think what most people think of with ADHD is that they can't focus. So this can be sort of how it presents. But the thing is, it's not that we can't focus. It's that we can't regulate our focus because it really is we can focus on everything or we Uh. are focusing on everything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like what you were saying before, like noticing everything, it's hard to filter out. Right. Right. That's kind of like, and you know, that can impact, you know, if if it like as students in class, being able to really take in what the teacher is saying, because it's like all these distractions, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But it also takes more mental and physical energy to focus than it does a neurotypical. So I like this kind of analogy of, um, you have one child who has ADHD next to a neurotypical child, it's going to take the child with ADHD seven to 10 times more mental and physical energy to focus during a school day than a neurotypical. That's exhausting. Yes, it's incredibly exhausting. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? 
You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. So I'm just, as you're kind of going through what some of the symptoms are, how it impacts people, like hearing also how, like for one, how draining it can be, which very draining. Which has to make it even harder to do the thing you're yes. trying to do. Exactly. Yes. Because if you're trying to modulate all of these executive functions and like, you know, your effort and your action, you know, and all of that, it does require so much more. And that's the thing. So needing like the brain needing stimulation to do things, you know, like cleaning the kitchen, doing laundry, all of those things require no thought, but those are the hardest to do for someone with ADHD because they're boring. So it's like, you know, if this is sort of like a a real time, Tom Brown, who has written books on ADHD, he uses the analogy of like, think of an orchestra and you know, all of these musicians are like the expert at their instrument. They're waiting for the, you know, conductor, tell everyone what to do. Well, when the conductor is, is doing it, they sound great, but all of a sudden the conductor can yes. So that's, you know, where it's hard to remember things because the brain is kind of seeing everything. Mm-hmm. It is like, if you think of like internal chaos. Yeah, for sure. Um, but then there is combined type which is attentive and hyperactive impulsive. Most, there is a, like a gender difference. Hmm. So most, but not all, typically boys and men do present more with the external hyperactive impulsivity. It is like climbing the walls, you know, impulsively throwing a ball at their sibling, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, things like that. That's generally. Girls generally exhibit hyperactivity and impulsivity as talking really fast, interrupting others. So like this internal restlessness, mm-hmm. cognitive anxiety. So so this um, is like when you say internal restlessness, this is not something necessarily somebody would see. They could feel just... It feels like, like I, just- I experience that because I'm combined type. I want to crawl out of my skin when I'm feeling restless. And that's typically also when I'm bored, but I can't, but nothing sounds interesting. So I can't just get up and go, okay, well, I'm going to go read a book or I'm going to go do this. You know, Mm -hmm. my brain's telling me, well, you should be cleaning the kitchen. You should be doing this. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, but no, I don't want to. So does that like, does it leave you just like frozen? Yeah. Okay. That's right. If you're bored, but restless and nothing sounds right, then like nothing happens. Nothing happens. I mean, that's when you can get in trouble and self-medicate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. But yeah, and it's miserable. Mm-hmm. And typically for me, my witching hour is between like three and five. 
Yeah. So I'm thinking of it that through the kind of lens of perinatal mental health or anyways, that like period of time, just postpartum for now, I guess. If there's, you know, I hear that there are several different types, but like speaking to the type that you're describing, you said combined type. So if there's like a million things to do, none of them sound good, but then there's like a child that absolutely needs you to do something. You don't have the, I guess, energy or interest or it's one on the list of like the, like the excruciatingly bored things to do. Yes. Um, And you have to push past it, Mm -hmm. even if you feel stuck. I mean, in a way, you know, in some ways it can be, well, it's getting me to activate to do something. Mm. And it is easier for people with ADHD to do something if it's for someone else, but not so easily if it's for ourselves. Interesting. We do better with structure. Mm-hmm. And that's what, so like, you know, school, you have to go to school, but like going to school is structure, you know, or having to go to a job, that structure that, you know, kind of forces to get up and activate and things like that. But, you know, at home, there is no structure in trying to create our own structures, mm-hmm. really difficult. But I think that babies and all that, it kind of goes, okay, well, I can't just sit here in paralysis. Oh, so okay. it can sort of shift you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but if your baby also has that same witching hour. Yeah. Which, you know. Which a lot I mean, do. It, right. I mean, my son, time. again, like my son had ADHD. So his little central nervous system was not regulated between four and seven. Mm-hmm. So that's when he would scream. And... Then you have many parents with ADHD are also highly sensitive. I, oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I'm hearing really interested to know how you would even begin to differentiate because right now it feels like a big mush to me because I don't know enough yeah. about, you know, how to differentiate ADHD. But right, there's, I hear a lot of the high sensitivity in there and I've heard some other, this is like, we don't need to get into this discussion, but like talking about a neurodivergence, there's sensitivity that goes into many different other diagnoses or yeah. impacts different diagnoses in different ways. Like let's say there are some HSP qualities that are also could be misconstrued as autism or vice versa, sensitivity to noises and like things like that. I'm just going to restate it all of that. Confusing. I mean, but when I think of like, you know, highly sensitive person, because I'm also a highly sensitive person. So it is feeling emotions more intensely, but then also the environment impacts you like that energy, outside energy, you feel it, right? For sure. So it is sensory processing, but I mean, it can be, and this is what can be incredibly uncomfortable for people with ADHD that are highly sensitive. It's like, you know, clutter feels really uncomfortable and overstimulating, but yet having to get rid of the clutter is also a deficit mm-hmm. if you struggle with organization. Right. So if you're having to sit in it and you can't do anything about it, or if you do, it's like really, really difficult. Right. So people who have ADHD diagnosis, let's say, don't necessarily have high sensitivity and vice versa. High sensitivity doesn't necessarily mean ADHD. So I think this is where there needs to be more research. There's not enough Mm -hmm. research really. Mm -hmm. And so I've been working with ADHD for about 12 years. I mean, 
I know people with ADHD who don't, who aren't highly sensitive. I know people with ADHD who are highly sensitive. I have not met anyone who is highly sensitive and not ADHD. Oh, that does not mean that's interesting. That there aren't that, right? But I don't think there is enough research on that. You that's know what really I mean? I think so. I really want to like dig into this. Well, where high sensitivity conflates or mixes with other things. And just touching on it, it's so, ADHD is so complex, but we haven't gotten to just purely hyperactive, impulsive type. Okay. And this is, is ADD thrown in here? So too? ADD is historically people, if it was purely, were purely inattentive, then they would say ADD. If they okay. were inattentive, hyperactive, or just hyperactive, they would say ADHD. Now, ADHD is the umbrella term. For everything. Okay. So we talked about inattentive type and combined type. But not hyperactive, not just purely hyperactive. Okay. What is that? So that is more, you know, impulsivity, either like physically hyperactive or it can be like one of the questions I think on questionnaires are like, you feel like you're always on the go. You know, they can be high energy. I think- Hyperfocus is a symptom of ADHD too. I don't know where that fits under, but hyperfocus is like, that is where people, they're able to focus for long periods of time, but they don't want to stop focusing. So it's like a mm-hmm. tornado or a hurricane could be going through the household and they would not stop doing it. Mm-hmm. So if like partner or their child is trying to get them to stop what they're doing, really crappy. Forget it. Not happy about that at all. <laughs> right. That with that hyperfocus, they're, let's say... T- typing some working on something on the computer and somebody comes in is like calling their name and they just it's like they don't hear it they don't hear it and they, and they won't break attention to it, it's very difficult and if you do try to get to break their attention they're usually not going to be nice about it if they're not trying to work with their brain because hyper focus is a superpower i mean it really is a strength do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, the, the thing about ADHD in general is ADHD, you know, it impacts everything. So it, it impacts relationships. It impacts sex. It impacts parenting. It impacts everything. So I think I was saying that because of my journey of understanding how my brain works and, you know, educating myself and all of that and spot it from a mile away, but It's going to depend on, you know, so you have someone like me who was living undiagnosed, then you can have someone who may have been diagnosed when they were younger, and maybe were put on a stimulant for a little bit, and that was it. So they were diagnosed, but they weren't really treated. That person is probably going to be impacted more. But someone who has either, if they've recently been diagnosed, and they're still trying to understand how their brain works, then, you know, well, they'll come in and say, I've been recently diagnosed. And so then I can start there and we sift out like what is, what's what. But, you know, if someone really does understand how their brain works and they have systems and strategies, you know, wherever their deficits are, they have outside help and things like that. So they're spending more time focusing on their strengths. Then they may be less likely to be impacted by. So, I mean, I guess this is a vote for if you have a child who you think might have symptoms or get them assessed or and get them help that I assume the earlier on in life, you can figure out Absolutely. how to put in strategies and learn how to cope and manage the better off, the easier the rest of your yeah. whole I mean, life will be. Yes. Parenting, you know, the other thing too, it's like, I'm going to 
read this thing because I think kind of another way of describing ADHD and Tom Brown, I mentioned him earlier. All right. So what he says is it's a complex syndrome of developmental impairments of executive functions, the self-management system of the brain, a system of mostly unconscious operations. These impairments are situationally variable, chronic, and significantly interfere with the functioning in many aspects of a person's daily life. So, I mean, that's kind of, I like, you know, points to how it does impact every aspect of our life because we are utilizing executive function in tandem with one another. And so if some of them aren't working, do you know what I mean? It's hard for the other ones to work as well. Well, right. Or, you know, like a stare, an uneducated stereotype of like inattentive ADHD is that we're lazy. Mm. But that's because we struggle with activation. Not that we right. don't want to ever do anything. Nobody wants to be lazy all the time. Do you know what I mean? And so hard thing is, it's like your brain is like, I don't. I'm not ready to go. Like, I'll describe it for myself. I want to want to do something. Right. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, it does not feel good. To, I mean, for maybe first thing in the morning, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. But after a couple of hours, it does not feel good to struggle to act. Oh, my gosh. So does this, I assume, like, how it would look to the outside is, like you said, lazy, but also procrastination? Like, yes, procrastination is a symptom. Because, of course, we're going to procrastinate. Well, there's a couple of reasons why we procrastinate. We procrastinate because we don't know how long something's going to take, perfectionism, and we don't know where to start. So, however, I will ask clients, because sometimes procrastination isn't a bad thing. So I'll ask them, like, when you were in school, did you procrastinate on writing a paper or whatever? And if you're like, oh, my God, I totally did it the night before. And I'm like, and what was your grade? I'm like, oh, I did great. And I'm like, so then maybe procrastination is your strength. Because you work better under pressure. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And we typically yes, do work ma'am, better. Yes, I do. <laughs> I'm like, so, check, 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 check. Maybe I have ADHD too. I well, think I, I mean, you know, if your work product is your best work from procrastinating, then that's what you want to do. Absolutely. Uh, if that it's is- not, then you want to figure out how to chunk things. But, you know, don't make yourself chunk things. Do little at a time. If that, because then your work product won't be your best. Oh, for sure. Oof. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but well, I so think this the- is turning into like, let's figure out if, if Kat has ADHD. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, what, what I think is also interesting, and maybe you alluded to this earlier is that, well, um, we touched on a little bit earlier that there's so many people that get diagnosed later in life who don't yes. know that they've been suffering with this the whole right. time. Why do you think that is? So, Okay. Let's just focus on girls and women first. The research on girls and women is only since the 1990s. And many times girls and women get missed and still get missed. A, because we do well in school and we do well in school either because we're really smart or because we're a people pleaser. And being a people pleaser is the motivator to do work. Interesting. Um, because an interest-based nervous system, like there has to be a buy-in to do something. So, you know, like for kids who aren't doing well in school, you know, well, A, they may have a learning difference and that they may be it, you know, or they're not interested in that class. We're not interested. It's not going to happen because there's, we don't have an internal reward system. Forward thinking is also not a strength, especially when we're younger. You know, I'm going to throw something else. I so, <laughs> Sure. Let's go. Neurodevelopmental, like typically people with ADHD <clears throat> are three to five years behind maturity wise than their chronological age. Oh, that's interesting. And that may not be like across the board, but it is kind of like, you know, I do think it's unrealistic for most 
like seniors in high school to know what they want to do for the rest of their lives. Right. But where you see, you know, kids who are really like where developmentally, you know, their peers are like, I'm ready to go on and do something like I have a goal, whatever that is, and are able to, for the most part, do it versus with ADHD, maybe like this is where gap years are actually good for kids with ADHD because mm-hmm. they need a couple of years to to mature. It doesn't mean they stay home and play video games. I mean, it's like, right. but, and research shows that if they take a gap year or two and they want to go to college, I don't think everyone has to go to college to be successful. They're better off at doing, because they'll have that goal. They'll be ready for that goal. Oh, if there's okay. no goal, then they're more likely to drop out and not go back. And there's a lot of demoralization that happens when we're living undiagnosed because of the struggle of like, I'm not smart enough. I'm not capable. Oh, I am lazy. You know, oh, like the, the judgments or the misconceptions the outside judgments internalized, internalized uh-huh. belief systems Oof. because of, you know, I mean, a lot of times, you know, kids with ADHD, if they're undiagnosed, you know, parents are sending these messages of what's wrong with you. You know, all of those things. I mean, and kids with ADHD get in trouble a lot, especially mm-hmm if they're more hyperactive and impulsive. And so, you know, I mean, that's why it's important for parents of neurodiverse child to really understand how their brain works because parenting a neurodiverse child does not look the same Mm -hmm. as parenting a neurotypical kid. It is so much harder. Um, Sure. So are are all of these kind of misconceptions part of what contributes to the later in life diagnosis? Well, yes. So, you know, if you think like, you know, if I'm not getting in trouble in class, then, you know, nobody's going to notice. So this would be like the struggle is internal and nobody else really knows. Right. Yes. So especially if you're more inattentive or if you're combined type like me and your hyperactive symptoms are internal with more cognitive anxiety and internal restlessness. I mean, I would interrupt people like interrupting people in conversations a few things I did impulsively, but I wasn't like, I did not get in trouble because I was a total people pleaser, rule follower, like too anxious to do anything fun. You know what I mean? Yeah, got it. <laughs> so whereas my best friend who also was diagnosed later on life as ADHD, she was super smart, but very hyperactive and impulsive. She got in trouble a lot in class. Mm-hmm. She was lord out stuff. So the other thing too, that can happen with ADHD if, you know, we, a lot of times, if we're not highly gifted, then we get to work harder than other people to study, to do well. And so, and sometimes there can be a bigger gap between effort and results. And that can create like not trusting ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like just because I work hard doesn't automatically mean I'm, I'm going to do well. Well, the, it seems like there are so many, I'm wondering now if there's, if part of the reason it's the diagnoses are coming so later in life is because it looks can look so many different ways. Oh yeah, it can. I mean, like everyone's different. I mean, if you have, you know, when I think about, you know, I, after eighth grade, I went to private school because I was getting bullied in eighth grade and the new high school was going in split sessions. It was crowded mm-hmm. and I was more shy being like being highly sensitive. So going to a really small private school and with my best friend, you know, graduated with 43 people. So I had smaller classrooms. I had more, you know, teacher help, things like that. So, and I was a pleaser. So I did well enough in high school because I had that system in place. Had I gone to the public high school, you know what I mean? So it just depends. And, you know, or if you 
have parents who are more supportive or versus not, or, you know what I mean? Like it really just, it depends on so many things. So as coming back to your, not your perinatal period specifically, but that period of time, how would somebody know if, well, how do you differentiate? How do you figure out what you're and going it's hard. through? I mean, like I said, I mean, depression or anxiety, it sounds like can be... anxiety, you know, I mean, again, like for me, I can look at God, I, a lot of times I give clients the perinatal screening, like anxiety screening scale from Australia. P-A-S-S. A lot of times I'll give them that. And I can tell by how they answer the questions, what symptoms could be ADHD related. Mm. Uh, but I don't go there first. Do you know sure, what I mean? Sure. But a lot of times like I'll have, you know, my moms and being like, you can't like, feel like, you know, I can't keep up with the clutter. I can't keep up with this. I can't keep up with that. You know, I guess I'm just not good at this mom thing. So that's yeah. like a, oh, piques your, your interest to listen for ADHD yeah. symptoms too. Yes. Yes. Well, cause right. You're just trying to figure out what is trying to figure out what is what. A lot of times too, I'll have, you know, unrelated to perinatal mental health, but many times, not all, if I have a woman come in to see me and she is highly anxious, then that piques my interest. That's the thing of like, you know, girls and women also create coping skills to manage the symptoms. By the time you're like getting maybe pregnant or postpartum, you've figured out some way to cope and manage. Some way. I mean, it does, but it causes, but that coping creates a lot of anxiety. Uh And so because Uh girls and women, you know, and boys and men too can fly under the radar. Like my son, who is more an attentive type, you know, if it wasn't for this teacher, because he was not getting in trouble in class, mm. it was just that, you know, he, his, there was such a big discrepancy between certain subjects. He would do really, really well. And others he would do really, really poorly. And so, and she just kind of knew what to look for. So like he would have gotten missed. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. a lot of times I, I think it's getting better, but I don't, I think a lot of educators just haven't had the opportunity oh, really right. to educate on it. So yeah, it's like, they're not causing problems in my classroom. Then they're fine. They have so the teachers have so much. They do. Than, and I guess it's not a diss on teachers. Oh yeah, yeah, no. That's why I'm saying the opportunity to really be trained on it and educated on all the differences and, and all those kinds of things. Figuring out how to cope even from early on all the way up through. Okay, you just had a baby. The coping skills that you maybe have figured out. No, probably no longer work. Yeah. Because it's such a big transition. And a lot of times, you know, what happens is like the symptoms are there, but the coping skills and the masking has been put into place. And then a big life transition, like going to grad school or going to med school or becoming a mother. Mm-hmm. no longer hold those balls in the air. Can you, before we go onto that, I definitely want to come back to that. You said something about coping skills and masking. Can you describe what masking is? Oh, we're very good at masking. <laughs> you know, it is like tending to be organized when we're not. Is that kind of like pretending to be in a way that you're not in general or trying to be outwardly anyways? Yes. Like I look yes. whatever. Yeah. Like you said, organized. Or, I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think masking, you know, the concept of masking, I guess, is universal. You know what I mean? When we mask, like if we're depressed and we don't want to tell anyone we're depressed. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, hey there, busy mama. 
Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. So if you're going through such a massive transition and things are just sort of like blown up, you have to figure out everything all over again. It's harder to mask. It's harder. It's harder to mask because neurotypical mothers are also like, what the hell just happened? (laughs) But they can typically figure out new systems and strategies. Mm -hmm. But ADHD women. It could take longer. Because the thing is, is, I mean, it's not like we can't, but if you've been living undiagnosed, I mean, it, it takes a while. And part of it really is learning how your brain works and accepting how your brain works so that you're not like, if I struggle with organization, accepting looks like I'm not trying to spend so much time keeping my house organized. I'm going to ask for help. And that doesn't mean I'm going to hire an organizer to come in and organize. And then I'm going to keep organized. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's uh-huh. like, it's asking for outside help for those things. But then it's also so I can spend more energy on the things that are meaningful to me, like rocking my baby or being creative or whatever that is. Is there, I want to get real quick. I know you had mentioned something when, when we were talking about before we were recording that there's some type of estrogen connection thing here. What is that? So because we, our brain is not, I would say weeks and whoever else has it, me, whatever. Brains don't like, I'm already deficient in dopamine and norepinephrine. Estrogen is connected to modulating norepinephrine, dopamine, and serotonin. When the estrogen drops, ADHD symptoms exacerbate. And estrogen drops when? Well, during like a regular, you know, period cycle during the luteal phase. So that's why a lot of times 
many women with ADHD also suffer from PMDD. And so if they're taking a stimulant, then, you know, doctors who understand it will increase their stimulant during that time. So, but then when you think about like pregnancy, like I do remember when I was pregnant with my son and the estrogen rises throughout the pregnancy, I felt like my days were fluid. And I have never felt that way because of transitioning to transition just choppy, 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 choppy. Mm. Like it was lovely. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. As soon as we have a baby, it plummets. So then it's like, you got none. Okay. So people who have sensitivities to hormonal changes like PMS, PMDD, it's not necessarily that they have ADHD, but if they do, they will be more impacted. Oh, yeah. My brain cannot keep up with all of the questions I have. (laughs) Perimenopause, menopause, like it's trying to figure out there. And there needs to be more research on it too, because like Mm -hmm. some research will say that like, you. so, I mean, I have an estrogen patch and testosterone cream, progesterone, and I'm wondering about that, but like you have to have a certain amount of estrogen in order for your stimulant to work. But I don't know, like I've looked in a colleague of mine, who's a psychiatric nurse practitioner has looked, mm-hmm. well, we don't know how much estrogen is that. Right. You know what I mean? So I'm like, am I on the right patch in order for my stimulant to be working? So, right. I mean, this is infuriating how little research there is on perimenopause, menopause in general, but also any kind of reproductive connected conditions, physical conditions and how it impacts mental health. Because right, I mean, PMDD, PMS, perimenopause, menopause, all of those things are impacting us in wild ways. And we don't, we're just like, hey, we'll try this and we'll try some of that and see if this works. And, and if you're already kind of having the, whatever kind of dysregulation is that you have emotional, cognitive, whatever, it's, you're just really trying to throw whatever you can at the challenge. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So if there's a, a kind of going back to this perinatal period, there's so many different ways that somebody who is also dealing with ADHD could be impacted in ways that someone who doesn't have ADHD isn't impacted. We know a little bit. It sounds like we know a little bit, but still not. not well, enough. the good thing is, is there is more research now on the safety of taking stimulants during pregnancy and breastfeeding. So that doesn't mean that I know a lot of women are so scared of that. And that's fine. I mean, I never tell a client, you need to take medication. But because it is sort of the same thing as like, a, you know, an antidepressant or SSRI that if a woman is taking it and it, it's helping her mental health before she gets pregnant, that it's important to talk to the doctor about either staying on it or finding something else that she may be safer or whatever, because the cost benefit of just getting off of your medication for mental health may be more dangerous mm-hmm. than staying on it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's the same thing if a woman really you know, needs her stimulant to function because that yeah. if functioning that impacts our mental health. To talk to a, like a reproductive psychiatrist about yeah. how they navigate that for sure. It sounds like there's so much to know. ADHD, if it's undiagnosed or if it's diagnosed can really impact people during this time in pretty significant ways. And I think if people could understand what was going on with them, and get adequate support, which I want to get to in a minute, obviously that could help in the transition. At least if we're understanding like, oh, this is an ADHD symptom versus I don't know what I'm doing and I'm lazy or whatever those judgments are. Internal belief systems of like, and and 
that being reinforced. And the, the other thing that I want to bring up real quick yeah. is rejection sensitivity dysphoria. You heard of that? Please elaborate. Rejection sensitivity it's, it's, dysphoria. Rejection sensitivity. I heard about it recently and I'm fascinated. It's a terrible term dysphoria. I mean, but it, so it is like many people with ADHD experience for this. So it is like feeling rejected, which doesn't feel good to anyone, but feeling rejected, feeling like we've disappointed someone we care about or real or perceived criticism is so much more painful for someone with ADHD who experiences RSD. They could automatically go into a major depressive episode. It is incredibly painful. Is this kind of an across the, like everybody who has symptoms of ADHD has this or is it like? No, I don't think that everyone with ADHD experiences it. Many do. I know that like now other areas of psychology are saying that it's, you know, it's not just ADHD related, but that I don't know. I know like Dr. William Dodson, he didn't coin the phrase, but he does done a lot of discussion and education and research on it. And from an ADHD lens, you can actually take medication to help it. Someone who's experiencing trauma and then, you know, maybe under that guise of RSD, I don't know if it works the same for trauma related. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I just mean like people, more areas are saying, oh, well, it's not just with ADHD, they experience it, but. Sure. Well, I mean, I think that's true for a lot of things. Like there are symptoms of lots of things that kind of end up in different diagnostic criteria. So sure, this could be the, you said RSD, rejection sensitivity dysphoria, could be in other places, but just like everything else, I mean, like you said, everybody presents differently. And so like the context of your life, what kind of support you did or didn't have, did you ever learn how to cope with that kind of stuff? So many different things could impact how it is expressed, how it is feels, whether it's, you know, just an ADHD thing or it's in in other areas. But if it's in the context of, let's say the postpartum, when you were describing it, I was like, oh my gosh, I remember so vividly women who both had like previous attachment disruption with their primary caregivers and who were experiencing what felt like rejection from their babies in the postpartum. I don't know what their whole constellation of diagnostic things were. I don't know, but they felt it so much more intensely. Oh yeah. What it felt like rejection to them. Yes. And you know, I think a common feeling from all mothers is that we're inadequate, right? Like mm-hmm. who doesn't feel that way, but that with a mom with ADHD, especially because we like all of the social expectations for women right for most of our deficits feeling oh, like we're you know what i mean so like, meal planning cooking prepping all of that and a lot of moms are become the executive function for the entire household Jeez. which is difficult i mean i remember going yes. to 504 and they're like mom you need to be checking this and this and this i'm like keep my own shit together how the hell am i <laughs> yes that's very real <laughs> you know what i mean and uh-huh. so like constantly feeling like we're failing because in a lot of ways by social expectations, we are, which I know they're unrealistic expectations. Yes. Being but said, still, we have the pressure. Yeah. I have so many more questions still. And I really am so interested in like digging deep and learning about this, both because I think a lot of people that I meet with, maybe I have missed that they have ADHD symptoms because it looks like so many other things. But also I'm feeling a lot like 
I've maybe said already in here that a lot of this is stuff I experienced and still experience myself. And so I'm learning about it, you know, with everybody else who's learning about it, that it's new to that too. You know, even within the perinatal mental health specialty, there are so many other specialties and ways that different diagnoses interact with this really delicate, sensitive perinatal period. So I want to learn more. And for people who are listening, who are thinking they might be dealing with this, what do they do? What do people, how, where, who can they go to? Where can they learn more? So ADA, ADDA is a great organization that has a lot of resources and, you know, also, I don't know if Attitude Mag and their webinars are attached to ADA, but those, that's a place, you know, just like, you know, Postpartum Support International is a great place to learn more about EMAGs. ADA is a great place to go to learn more about ADHD. So is CHAD, you know, all caps, C-H-A-D-D. Those are two good organizations. And, you know, so that's a good start. They also do have resources for people in different states, whether it's a therapist that, you know, specializes in in ADHD, a lot of coaches, which I do believe that someone with ADHD, like having an ADHD specific coach at some point in your life is imperative. To learn how to cope, like manage skills. You know, what learning systems and strategies for things that we struggle with, you know, really, which is really anything adulting. (laughs) All of it. Um, but, you know, just in, in, and they need to be ADHD specific because like a coach that isn't ADHD trained is not going to be good for someone uh-huh. who has ADHD because mm-hmm. of the brain differences. Like, you know, a regular coach probably will be like, well, you're not changing fast enough. You're not doing things fast enough. Well, we don't. We have to like, you know, if getting our kids to school on time is a goal, well, that's a macro goal. So it's like, what are the micro goals underneath that to help experiment with to get there? And so they really have to understand ADHD, but it's important. And because they're right now, you know, the ADHD world and the perinatal mental health world still have a lot of work to do in coming together. Finding a therapist that specializes in both might feel like a unicorn right now. But I think if they can't find someone, then finding a therapist that understands ADHD, I mean, a therapist that understands PMATs. Mm-hmm. And finding an ADHD coach mm-hmm. can be very helpful. And then the coach and the therapist can also work together as a team. Sure. You know what that's I mean? A great idea, because, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's then, you know, a reproductive psychiatrist or a psychiatrist that understands both perinatal mental health and ADHD. Because to me, that still falls under a reproductive psychiatrist, especially with the estrogen connection. Sure. Yeah. You know I, I, mean? I want to learn more about that too. I don't know if it is per se, but since there's such a reproductive component to it with the estrogen connection. But, you know, you don't have to get a psychological assessment to get the diagnosis. As an adult, it really is a lot of information gathering. You can, you spend a lot of money and you may even not fit the criteria. Like the diagnostic criteria. Like that, I mean, like there many people will have, even because girls can get missed, can have a psychological, like a full psychological workup done and not meet the criteria for ADHD. That does not mean they don't have it. It means that they probably have a lot of coping skills to mask things. Or like, you know, let's say if I have a a client who's single and I think they have it. And, you know, I'll ask like, well, what's it like for you going to the grocery store? Do you plan for the grocery store? No, I just get whatever I need. I'm just whatever. And then it's fine. Well, if you're single, that's fine. You're going to 
it's just you, there's no whatever. But when you have a family, unless your partner is really good at planning, meal planning and all of that, that's where it's going to show up. Because then it's, you know what I mean? Like, think yeah. about house. And a lot of us don't like cooking. We're going to the Like, there's so much executive function and so many little tasks that requires making dinner. Wow, there's so much to know. Because it can show up so many different ways, you're saying, to this, like, full diagnostic workup. Um, As an adult, you don't, I mean... I, it's you, harder to get the diagnosis if well, you like, I mean, learned coping yeah. along the way. Yes, and it just depends on, you know, you may be actually already like your job may be your passion your strengths you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. it just depends um so that is an option it's an expensive option and it is common for women to go to different places and feel like they're being gaslit because they like they they know internally something's not something different and they they, they're being told they're fine and yeah so i've had clients where it's like they have not met the criteria in a psychological assessment. But when I'm talking to them about their day to day, it's so obvious. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, so sure. I think that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There are things like, uh, not as a, a straight equivalent, but let's say like somebody who doesn't meet criteria for a major depressive disorder might have dysthymia. Yeah. They might have like a low level of something all the time, but doesn't meet criteria. Yeah. And I know like if I'm, you know, meeting with my psychiatrist for my meds every month and I could fill out that PQ9, like, you know, all these questions that I'm answering, like most of the time is really an ADHD because I struggle with activation. You know what I mean? I have an interest-based nervous system. So it could look like depression. I know for me, like I know what it feels like to be depressed outside of ADHD and feel depressed due to my ADHD. Oh my gosh. I think we have to do like a multi-part series on this because there's so much to know. And I, you know, I'm coming into this relatively blind. Like it was not discussed a lot in a grad school, even like to understand what ADD is, ADHD. There's a lot of emphasis on depression and anxiety and some other mood disorders, which is great. But this feels like a massive gap in understanding and knowing, at least from my perspective. But um, to your point, I don't don't think there are a ton of specialists. For sure, the intersection between perinatal mental health and and ADHD, I know there are some, but we don't understand the full scope yet of, as like therapists who don't have training on how this could be impacting somebody. It's the same thing for people in the ADHD world where there is more, the conference is, you know, talking about pregnancy and ADHD, but they're still using postpartum depression as a general term. So they're not really going to just do better all around. Well, I think it's always, you know, I mean, this is just how evolution happens with things where, you know, we start out as like, here's this this is what we're focused on and then realizing, oh, well, we need to include this and this and this and as anything, you know. Well, I mean, this for me has been a very eye-opening conversation and I think really important, especially for those of us in the perinatal mental health field as professionals, maybe a signal for us all to get a little more training on ADHD to be able to recognize this and support our clients better. To like the psychiatrist can also diagnose, but you know, even if they don't, whatever, that doesn't mean you don't, but psychiatrists can do it without doing a full assessment. I mean, like psychological assessment. And then there are therapists that specialize it that can do it as well. But yeah, it is helpful. I really appreciate your time and that you are bringing light to the crossover, the, the intersection of these 
I mean, it's more than one diagnosis, but like these kind of categories of diagnoses and symptoms and challenges, because this is such a unique period of time, this big old transition into parenthood or I mean, there's so many other area things that could be impacted, like loss and fertility and just it's sort of mind bending to me <laughs> how much this could be impacting somebody now that I even know just this little bit about it. I thank you for your time and for bringing oh, this up for, for all of us. Me. And I'm happy to email you with a list of books and stuff too that may be helpful for people. Yeah, that'd that be I- great. I can put the, all of that in the show notes and I'll put the organizations that you mentioned also in the show notes. So thank you so much for your time and for sharing this with us today. Thank you for talking with me. I've enjoyed it very much. Me and too. let me know if you want to continue to talk about it. Thank I do. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Please look up Jacqueline at therapymama.com. And she's also on Instagram and Facebook, Therapy Mama and Therapy Mama LPC. Please look in the show notes for links to the things that she talked about so that you can learn more about ADHD and be as informed as possible about your journey into parenthood. As usual, share this episode. It's super duper important that these episodes are spread far and wide so that everybody who needs to hear this can hear it and hopefully it can help them on their perinatal mental health journey as well. You can share from my accounts on Instagram or Facebook at mom and mind podcast, or wherever you're listening to this episode, there is a share button and you can send it right along to somebody who could use it. I do appreciate you following this podcast and subscribing to this podcast to get all the episodes downloaded directly to you as well as sharing this because that's what keeps us going. Thank you so much for being here until next time. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at Mom and Mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.